The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns, one for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my little friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Here's my rifle. Well, I like to call it my uh, I like to call it my weekly therapy session, but no, it's really Firearms Friday. Your chance to sound off on issues of a two-way nature right here on the Big Radio Broadcast. Good morning and welcome to it, Friday. Um, and uh, uh, TGIFF to all of you out there, or is it FFF? I can never. I can never remember exactly. It's what happens when you get old. I can't remember what her name is. Uh, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or a translator. And around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com, uh, where you'll find the audio-only live stream and the uh, links to our social media sites where we simulcast the radio show on the internet, and of course, to our podcasts, um, uh, uh, our podcasts uh, as well, uh, which of course are available on Castbox, Stitcher, Google Play Podcast, iTunes, the thing, and Spotify. Just Spotify. That's all I got to say. That's where I find most of mine. So, uh, <clears throat> welcome to the program. This hour, by the way, being brought to you. Uh, by your friends over there at Satellite West. Satellite West. You can find him at SatelliteWest.com. And when it comes to communications and, um, you know, talking to people across the state of Alaska, no matter where you are, um, you could be in a rowboat in, uh, you know, in, uh, in the harbor in Kodiak or standing out there on the barren plain of Anwar. You could still be connected because your friends at Satellite West have got you covered, whether that's, uh, you know, a phone call, you want to send text messages, you want to check your email, you might even want to surf the Internet in any one of those locations. They're the ones that have got you hooked up. Satellite West, uh, proud sponsors of the program. Thank you so much for sponsoring us and providing us today with uh, the sponsorship. Okay. Um <clears throat> Uh, welcome. I see. I've seen a lot of comments this morning about how fast everything is going. Every year that I live seems to make the week fly by quicker. You know, there's actually a scientific. This is a total sidebar. The a scientific reason for that that as you are younger, you have experienced yes uh, less years overall. Right. Remember. I mean, I talk about this quite frequently with my friends. Remember when summer vacation used to last forever. Right. I mean, you get out of school and, uh, you know, you had all summer and summer just seemed to last forever. And it was great. I mean, it was great that it lasted. I'm not complaining. And then 
you came back and, uh, you know, after what seemed like a year, you came back to school and it was the new school year, right? Well, that has to do with the fact that at that point in your life, you would only experience um, so many years, you know, 10 years, 15 years. You'd only experience so many years. But as you get older and you have more years experienced behind you, it seems to accelerate. And I don't remember what the actual scientific phenomenon is called that that, that is. But as you get older, the years seem to go by faster and faster. I mean, this last summer seems like a weekend, right? For me, it was just like, boop, there you go. That was summer. Okay. Um, wow. You know, and uh, and each week just seems to run right into the other. And that's just a function of you got more years on, you got more mileage on the clock. And uh, so it's all about perspective, perspective. We need to get a new perspective. Um, that's, uh, that's what it's all about. So anyway, um, I just noticed that in the chat room and, uh, it, uh, it triggered that in me because I, I often wondered about that. And it was a few years ago that I actually went out and looked it up and said, why does it seem like the time? And it's actually a scientific phenomenon because you've lived more years than you did when you were younger, which I would hope, I would hope that Never mind. <clears throat> All right. Um, so today on the program, what are we doing? We get like, I mean, we're still stacked up. Um, we're, we're still stacked up deep and steep here. We've got lots of guests on Monday. Our final two guests for the uh, political season are going to be joining us. And that's going to be Sarah Vance and Mike Shower, uh, which I think is a great note to end up on. Quite honestly, I'm kind of happy about that. Uh, but today, it's all about the firearms and the firearms goodness, and then, of course, finishing it up on a positive note. Uh, so today, we're going to be talking with my friend J.D. Tuchilli from Reason Magazine about his newest article in Reason, which came out here just uh, uh, just a handful of days ago. Uh, the day that it came out, I read it and I texted him and said, uh, dude, we got to talk about this. And he was very uh, gracious in agreeing to come on the show and talk about this. The title of the article is ATF enforcers of gun law lost thousands of firearms parts and firearms to thieves. <laughs> and it goes on to talk about the ATF and what's been going on and what's happening under the Biden administration. And uh, it is a fascinating read. I've posted it up in the uh, chat room this morning. For folks to go take a look at, uh, if you want to read it before we get into it with JD here in about 10, 12 minutes, that would be great. But uh, what a uh, what a story. So JD Tuchilli joins us here in the first uh, after the break here, and we'll be talking with him for the remainder of this hour. Coming back into it in hour two, we'll be joined by Donna Anthony. Now, Donna, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a instructor of, uh, of firearms instructor and training. Uh, she is um, uh, really big in the community here in the South Central and down on the peninsula. She's been doing all different kinds of uh, cl uh, classes and courses and everything else. And she's going to be talking about a self-defense expo that's going to be going on um, here in the near future and encouraging people to, uh, go ahead and talk, uh, go, go to that. Anyway, she's going to come on tomorrow, uh, this morning, tomorrow, this morning at seven Oh five. And we are going to discuss it. 
uh, as well. And then finally, we'll finish up with Willy Waffle from wafflemovies.com. That's uh, that's it. I mean, it is the whole. That's the whole thing. So um, that's it. That is that is it. That's the roundup for today. It is like I said, a jam packed show, and we are ready to uh, rock and roll and dive into it. Couple a uh, couple different things here on the um, uh, in the headlines that you might want to be uh, paying attention to. Uh, the Brune decision continues to reverberate around the country and cause some angst and ire. Uh, remember when, <clears throat> excuse me, remember when the campaign season first got started and it seemed like the Democrats were just convinced that gun control was going to be the winning issue for them? You remember that? That was like, you know, almost a year ago. Because campaign seasons now have started to be a year out kind of thing. Uh, they, I mean, there's a bunch of Democratic candidates and progressive candidates who laid out their anti-Second Amendment street cred and, and started talking about things like universal background checks and assault weapons bans and, uh, and, and, you know, magazine capacity. I mean, just all the different things that they were talking about. And then... Um, it uh, it turned out that uh, then Uvalde happened, of course, and that they expected that was going to, you know, kind of be the clincher on the whole deal. But it turned out that um, not so much that that really became more about an issue of failure on the part of law enforcement and school security and everything else instead of on firearms law in Texas. They, people weren't blaming the firearms. They were blaming school officials. They were blaming law enforcement. They were blaming the lack of, you know, planning and not following procedure. There was a lot of embarrassing stuff going on for the powers that be in many of these places. And it quietly just kind of went away, the whole discussion on it. And then, of course, Brune happened. And Brune, I mean... That decision has kind of laid the groundwork for the dismantling of the major gun control efforts in the last 100 years. I mean, that's just pretty much right down to it, all the way back to the 1934 Firearms Act, National Firearms Act. It pretty much lays out a groundwork for how most of this stuff can be dismantled. And uh, so the... The politicians went on to be, you know, well, even if you pass all your newfangled gun control laws, what are the odds of them holding up? We've already seen New York's um, new gun control scheme be challenged and um, and uh, enjoined by at least two federal judges. New Jersey, never smart enough to read the room, decided to put their new law out, which mimics a lot of New York's. And uh, and and they're all going to be challenged. I could see you right now. In fact, gun rights are even trying to gain ground in Illinois, of all places. Illinois, it looks like they're going to be taking on the firearm owner's identification card. This is the state's um, firearms permit, basically a FOID, F-O-I-D, the firearms owner information card. You have to have one. 
if you want to own a firearm of any kind, to be able to exercise the right, you have to be able to beg the government's permission for that right uh, in and of itself. And they are there's an expected challenge already against the FOID, and they are expecting it based on the Bruin decision and everything else to succeed because it infringes on your right to keep and bear arms. You should not have to beg the government's permission to do so. Um, now, it's not as good as, you know, average the average folks in Illinois turning against gun control, but um, repealing that would be huge for Illinois. And uh, and I think you're again, you're starting to see the dismantling of some of these things, even um, even as we speak. And some places are getting it. Uh, we thought Hawaii was going to get it right. We thought we had hope. We we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that the Hawaii count, uh, County Council had voted down a bill that would have put very New York like restrictions on the ability to conceal carry with uh, you know with with the sensitive spaces and all this kind of stuff. Well, it must have been a red herring because they then on Wednesday brought forward an amended version of the bill which is slightly better, but it still contains a number of sensitive places and things that aren't likely to pass muster uh, from the court. And uh, there's a lot of uh, open public spaces, too, that they're banning, um, including parks and playgrounds and houses of worship and more, which have all, again, the federal judges have all said, mm, that, doesn't, that doesn't line up with Brune. And they went ahead and passed that seven to one. So there's still trouble in paradise. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot of these anti-gun folks continue to try and push back, and they're just going to get spanked in the courts, and maybe that's what it'll take to get the uh, job done. I don't know. But Brune, we're going to look. Here's my thought. My thought is, is that we're going to look back on Brune and see that it was the beginning of the end for kind of this huge organized push for gun control. If you want to see what happens and what we should be talking about, we should be looking to Denmark. You know, there was a big shooting in Denmark in July. And if we have time later on in the show this morning, we will talk about that as well. But we got to go. J.D. Tuchelli is going to be joining us in a minute. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right. Peltola is still rolling out the ad saying that the Second Amendment is about food security. That's because she's a zumbo. That's why. That's because she doesn't really believe in the original, uh, you know, the, what the, what the, uh, she doesn't really believe in what the Second Amendment is, is, is all about. Um, Uh, we're talking about the time. How long's the time? How many years have you been doing this show in this format from your house? With the internet attached to it? 
I mean, with the broadcast, the video broadcast. I started doing the video broadcasts. Um, I actually started doing it on Periscope, video broadcast of the show. And it wasn't as fancy with all the stuff and everything and all that kind of thing. That was before Facebook actually had a live function. Um, I was an early adopter of the Facebook Live. And so how long has that been? Four years? Four years, four and a half, five years. Whenever it was, that's when I first that's when I first started. And uh, so yeah, time flies when you're having fun, that's for sure. All right. Uh, I see Mr. Tuchili is in the green room. He's eating my virtual donuts. I see that. Do not eat the virtual donuts. Those are although they're calorie free. I want the ones with the sprinkles. Keep those for me. Uh, let's jump over there to him real quick and uh, make sure we got audio and video and we're all we're all glorified and ready to go. Good morning, my friend. How are you doing this morning? Good morning to you. Doing well. Good. Good to have you. Thank you for taking the time to come out. I always appreciate it. I know you're a busy man, so I appreciate you uh, coming on board and sharing with us. This piece, by the way, is eye-opening, and I love that. Uh, so we're going to... Uh, we're going to talk about that here in just a second. Um, if you don't mind, I'll plop you back into the green room and be right back to you, okay? You got it. All right, J.D. Tuchili, uh, our guest uh, from Reason Magazine, uh, who writes about, I mean, just a plethora of things, by the way. Uh, this is my mini ad for J.D. Tuchili. He talks about free trade. He talks about, uh, you know, what was his latest one? The tech, the sex, uh, sex offender registry in Texas. Miserable math and reading scores. Talking about the school choice. We should have him back on to talk about school choice. Since Alaska is, what, 49th and 50th on the math and reading. We spend two or three times as much as anybody else, and we barely scrape out of the 50th place out of 50s. I mean, I don't know. That would be depressing to have him on about that. Uh, he writes about crime. He writes about Iran. He writes about, I mean, just go through his articles. He is... Uh, he is uh, vociferous. He's very wordy, and he writes some awesome stuff. I love it. I love it. Go read it. Uh, go check it out. Reason Magazine. Just type in reason.com uh, and uh, JD to Chili, and you'll know. Why don't I just post it in the chat room? I do have a chat room. Why don't I just do that? Okay. Smart move, dude. All right, here we go. So that's uh, all the JD to Chili stuff here on Reason Magazine. Um let me see. Peltola still rolling out those ads, talking about the Second Amendment is about food security, which just shows how ignorant that she actually is. Or how, I mean, it could be willful ignorance. Is Periscope still a thing? I saw something about it the other day. Apparently, it's still going. I don't know. I haven't used Periscope in years. Uh, ever since I started doing the uh, <clears throat> Facebook Live. Um, uh, okay. Mm, there you go. All right, uh, I think we caught up on all the comments in the chat room, um, and we are ready to go. Uh, one more, one more pass. Just saw a TikTok, says Bill, of Justin Trudeau announcing any sale, possession, and transfer of any handgun in Canada is now illegal. Well, did you see the <laughs> did you see the big raid that they just did in Australia? How long? What was it? Ninety six when they ninety six ninety seven when the Australians decided to declare it was all not good, and there was a picture. Where is the picture? I was just reading it. I just saw it. There was a huge the hall. Uh, our friends down under popping the bubbly over the latest gun haul, and there's just a plethora of handguns 
that they just picked up in Australia. It's just like, it's not going to stop it, okay? Criminals, by their very definition, are going to break the law. And if your law is stupid, average law-abiding citizens are going to do the same thing eventually. And when guns, are, when guns are outlawed, only outlaws will have guns. Okay, so you know what the ding means. We're about to rejoin the radio. Let's get back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Chance, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. All right, well, welcome back to the program. <clears throat> that is uh, Now We Fight. That was what that was all about. Uh, welcome back to the program. It is Firearms Friday, that one day a week we dedicate to the Second Amendment. And uh, joining me today, I'm very excited, uh, as you can tell by the rapidity of my speech, uh, we're going to have J.D. Tuchelli on the program, who is, of course, a with Reason Magazine. He is a managing editor over, the, uh, editor over there. He writes a lot of great stuff. We've had him on the program uh, quite a few times. Uh, today, we're talking about his latest article, which is uh, one of his latest articles, which talks about the ATF, which is supposed to enforce gun laws, right? And and FFLs and police all these people. But it turns out that they can't keep track of their own stuff, let alone everybody else's. So let's uh, let's chat about that with J.D. Tuchilli. He joins us. Uh, he joins us right now. Good morning, sir. Good morning to you. Uh, I am. I was reading this article, and uh, this is not the first time that I've kind of heard some of these things. This is just the latest iteration of reporting on the ATF. Um, it is. They have lost thousands of guns and gun parts. Thousand. And this is just again the latest. I remember eight nine years ago there was a report where in Chicago they lost full auto machine guns. They lost all kinds of stuff out of the Chicago office simply because somebody hadn't bothered to lock things up or whatever. This is not unusual. This seems to be status quo. But these are the people that are uh, are supposed to be enforcing our gun laws and uh, riding shotgun, uh, riding herd over the FFLs, which are the federally firearms licensees, the dealers. And um, this is kind of a big case of do as I say, not as I do, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if any of your listeners um, hold federal firearms licenses, they know that the uh, the ATF is there to crack, you know, come down like a ton of bricks on any kind of paperwork violations, storage violations, whatever it might be. But in this case, for, for years, um, out of what's called the National Disposal Branch, which is the facility the ATF maintains where they destroy um, confiscated guns and also their own inventory that, that they don't want to have anymore, basically run through the equivalent of a gun paper shredder. Um, for, for years, thousands of these guns were going out the back door. It was their own security that was doing it, and they were selling them on the black market. Right. So they caught them. Yeah, they caught them years ago. I mean, it was 2019. One of them went to prison. I have a hard time believing it was one guy, but who knows? Um, <laughs> he had a big truck and a, and a strong back because he could carry all those guns by himself. So, yeah. That forklift, he, yeah, he got he got that forklift working after hours, I guess. Um, but but the thing is, I mean, they caught this guy. They told him, "Look, you got to you got to straighten out this facility." So this report that came out last month, or you know, the end of September, said that they went back to check, and of course, I mean, it's a government agency. They had not fully implemented all of the recommended security improvements that uh, had been called for in the wake of thousands of guns. And you mentioned machine guns. Yes, some of them were fully automatic, too. Thousands of guns, gun parts, ammunition went out the door. 
I mean, there's a lot of inventory that got resold on the black market. Um, and they still hadn't, they were still not signing people in. They were still not locking up the vaults in the facility. They still, for their convenience, they said, we're propping exterior doors open so they can get in, in and out easily without having to unlock the door. Um, and they were still throwing stuff on top of the vault because unlocking apparently is annoying and then you got to relock it. So they would just throw a case of weapons on top of the vault. And for uh, disposal, when the machines were down, you know, the giant paper shredders that they ran the guns through, when those were down, they just had guns lying in boxes unsealed, um, which is really pretty remarkable. And if you think about what if, you know, a licensed private dealership were to engage in this level of sloppiness of their own security, would the ATF give them a pass? And of course, the answer is no freaking way. Right. But government bureaus, can a government agency get away with this? Of course. Right. Uh, I really started here about, it was probably 10, 12, maybe 15 years ago. Um, I started uh, interviewing some people about this, about kind of this ATF overreach and their juggling and things like that. And I ended up talking to a gentleman named Ryan Horsley from Red's Tradings Post in Iowa, uh, excuse me, in Idaho. Um, and he was in a battle with the ATF because somebody had it out for him and they were going through his paperwork and his forms and they were giving him violations for things like if somebody said why instead of yes in a box or N instead of no, then they were saying that's a paperwork violation. He was having his, his, his guys had to go back behind the people and make sure that they fill. I mean, it was like, if you, if you, um, uh, abbreviated the County that they were in, no, it had to be fully written out and all. And they were threatening to take his license over what are simple, you know, simply paperwork issues, not, not, not nothing criminal, nothing, anything else, but this is the kind of scrutiny and, and the, you know, how they would get down on the microscope level. And yet these are the same guys that are leaving their cars unlocked with, with MP5 sitting in the trunk and not worrying about it. Oh, absolutely. And they've stepped this up too. I mean, the ATF has always had a somewhat adversarial relationship with uh, federal, federal firearms dealers, anybody involved in the business. But the Biden administration, when it came in, explicitly called on them to step up their enforcement efforts. And they've been revoking firearms licenses, FFLs, at the highest rate in about 15 years, longer than that, I think. Um, and a lot of it is for, I mean, if you go and ask the industry people, it's, you know, as you pointed out, I mean, the missed, you know, paperwork violations involving the 4473s, really minor bureaucratic petty stuff. And the reason is, is because the Biden administration essentially set a quota you got to you got to you know take away a lot of these licenses, and so they're finding reasons, bureaucratic violations, right. paperwork stuff for yanking these licenses. Now, so if you were to do the equivalent of leaving uh, boxed firearms unlocked, you know doors propped open, your inventory unsecured, you could imagine what would happen to a private dealer. Oh yeah, but here you got an ATF facility. That's exactly what they're doing. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. We've got locked, secure doors that are supposed to be bolted, have electronic locks, everything else. Too hard for me to swipe my card. Too hard for me to type in the code. Just prop the door open and leave it open to the world. Um, and, and this is the hypocrisy of what we're talking about. And and quite honestly, J.D., I kind of wanted to talk to you about this because this is not a new thing, what Biden is doing. Under Clinton, he had an initiative at the ATF where he wanted to eliminate what they called kitchen table dealers. And that is people who had FFLs as a hobby. They weren't full-time gun dealers, but as hobbyists, they had petitioned the government, they'd paid their fees, they'd done all the background checks, and they sold 
a few dozen guns a year uh, across the kitchen table, basically to people that they knew or to their hunting pals or whatever, or they were collectors and they wanted it at a deeper discount. And under the Clinton administration, they were doing the same kind of thing. This, you know, this microscopic check on everything that you were doing, and they were threatening to put people in jail. They were doing and revoking licenses left and right. They lost something like 25% of the FFLs under the Clinton administration during those years. This is the administrative hammer that we're seeing, and Congress is essentially doing nothing about these law-abiding citizens who are trying to do things legally, and they just abdicate their responsibility. Oh, absolutely. And you know what happened to those FFLs is that because a lot of them were doing casual business, they realized that they didn't have to bother with the licensing if the feds were going to make it that hard. They would just do private party sales. And if you do a limited number of those every year, you really don't need to be licensed. Where's the cutoff? That's always been a little in the gray zone. Um, but if you're doing private party kitchen table sales, arguably you are just a private party hobbyist who's unloading some of your excess unwanted guns so that you can afford to buy new guns, right? Right. right. That is legal by, by most interpretations. And they drove them to the market and the weapons, they're complaining that there's all these private party sales going on without background checks. That's happening, of course, because they force so many people out of the FFLs. Right. By the way, this is the same ATF that was party to the whole, uh, you know, uh, Fast and Furious, Gunwalker scandal, all these other things, giving guns out all the time. They they lose, the, like I said, not only did they lose their own guns, they were arming Mexican cartels at the border. Uh, they were they were strong arming dealers into selling guns that the dealers knew were straw purchasers. But the ATF said, oh, you're doing we're, we're, we're watching. And then, of course, when the whole thing blew up in their face, what did the ATF do? They came back around and they blamed the gun dealers at the border that they were the problem, even though that under t- there's testimony from these gun dealers that said we begged them not to make us sell these to these Mexican cartel leaders because we knew that these were bad people. And they said, oh, no, no you're doing your patriotic duty. And then they threw us under the bus. I mean, this place, this thing is a mess. Oh, it's an awful mess. And at least I'm going to put at least one federal agent was killed by those walk to guns, too. Yeah, absolutely. And then they tried to hang that on the FFLs, which is where the FFLs came out and said, no, this is what they've been making us do. This yeah. is on the ATF. Yeah. The ATF also has a history for a long time there. They may still be doing this. They would do these things. They would set up these um, operations of illegal guns and often they hook up the DEA, do illegal drug sales. And they would get um, kids who are mentally impaired. Um, they would get them to work in these shops and, um, you know, they're helping out the ATF, right? Except they set them up to take the fall for the illegal sales. Some of these kids ended up getting arrested and sent away. Now, I think most of them eventually got out, but that's only after the press got wind of what the ATF was doing is that they would set up criminal operations, engage in illegal sales, shut down the criminal operations and, and, uh, and arrest their own, um, you know, people who had volunteered to help them out, who, you know, weren't all there to begin with and didn't right. realize what the implications were, what they were doing. Yeah, no, this is, it's, it's absolutely uh, astonishing uh, what's going on. And this is the enforcement branch. And this is why uh, we, you know, people have fought so long and hard against actually, uh, you know, putting a director in there that made, you know, that made sense. And finally, Biden has finally slipped a director into the director's seat. And unfortunately, the mandate that's come down continues this adversarial relationship between the ATF and gun owners and gun dealers and everything else. I mean, the ATF is on record. There's an actual video of this 
uh, where they know that, for example, the NFA list, which is the National Firearms Act list, this is the registry of all machine guns, suppressors, short-barreled rifles, short-barreled shotguns in the country. It's a finite list, right? The machine gun side of it especially is a finite list. They use that when they're prosecuting people uh, who have you know, unregistered machine guns, et cetera, et cetera. They, there's actually a video of an ATF director up there saying to his people during a meeting, well, we testify that the NFA is 100% accurate. We know it's not. So they perjured themselves. Uh, they've added stuff. They've subtracted stuff. I mean, this is a bad agency. I just, I mean, I don't know how else to, you know, to put it politely, and probably the ATF is listening. I'm, I'm, you know, this is a bad, they've got a bad track record. And, and I don't know why it still continues to exist in its current form. Well, because it serves a political purpose. I mean, the ATF is not the regulatory agency nominally to be. It's an agency that's set out to basically eliminate or at least restrict firearms ownership by the public. Right. Um, that is its political purpose now, unspoken in most cases, although I think most people understand this at this point. So when you're dealing with ATF, you're not dealing with an agency that wants to regulate your firearms ownership. You're, you're dealing with an agency that wants to eliminate your firearms ownership. That's the charge that's been given under several administrations, and it takes on an institutional life of its own. And then you see it when people like, was it uh, David Chipman? Who right. was nominated yeah. to be the, the leader. Yeah, he's explicitly opposed to private firearms ownership in most cases. Uh, so when you have that, it's a hostile agency to private gun ownership. Um, and I would say that means it's not a legitimate agency. One, an agency that's actually tasked with limiting your liberty, uh, a liberty is protected by the Constitution, um, is an agency that I would say should not exist. You you end your article, which I think is just the classic thing, which says, with the theft of thousands of firearms and firearms parts and ammunition from a federal body tasked with enforcing firearms regulations, uh, you know, like so many government agencies, the ATF should be abolished and its employees should be sent to seek uh, into the world to seek honest jobs in the private sector if anyone would have them. And that's really what it comes down to. These guys are doing a job that if you were, would the, pri- yeah, if you were the private sector, man, you, no way. I mean, you would be fired if you were in the private sector. And yes, I wouldn't do that job either. I would not, I could not sleep at night knowing what the mandate is from on high. I would have a hard time with that. Yeah. I mean, the only, uh, the only service I could see them providing say, a gun manufacturer is connections. You know, they got friends that are still in government. But if you eliminate the agency, you don't need that. And they've got a history of hostility towards the, towards private ownership, uh, towards the firearms industry. And they've got a, a record of sloppiness, um, of abuse of liberties. Uh, I think I'd want to keep them about as far away from me as possible. Absolutely. J.D. Tuchilli is our guest. We're coming up on the break. I do want to talk to J.D. about the Bruin decision and what effects he thinks, as he's done a lot of research and and discussion on this, he thinks this may have on the industry and the ATF, etc. But we've got to take a quick break. We will be back with more in just a moment. It is The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. It is Firearms Friday. J.D. Tuchilli from Reason Mag is our guest. We'll be back with him in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. What is that? Common Sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Show. Radio. 
All righty. Uh, we're in the break right now. J.D. Tuchilli, uh still our guest uh, here. Uh, I want to talk a little bit, like I said, when we return to the radio about Bruin and uh, your thoughts on that and then anything else that you're working on uh, that the folks might be interested in. But I, I want to go back a little bit here. Um, J.D., I don't know how much research you've gone done in, in the into the uh, genesis of the ATF. Um, but I find it interesting that, you know, the, the, it used to be the, the department of, um, um, of revenue, right? I mean, this was about, this was about liquor back in the day. This is alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. It was all about alcohol because it was prohibition. And we saw this enormous agency get built up with, uh, with kind of the thug-like tactics, you know, they would run the woods in West Virginia looking for stills and burning stuff down and doing all that kind of stuff. And uh, when when Prohibition ended, these guys, you know, this government agency was desperate because they were about to lose their whole mission. They were about to lose everything. And, of course, the next thing that tripped over was U.S. v. Miller, which is the decision actually about a bootlegger who was caught with a shotgun that was below uh, a certain length, uh, 23 inches. In fact, I think it was 23 out of 24 inches, supposed to be 24 or more. And that case went to the Supreme Court, and that was the, the basis for the NFA, the National Firearms Act. And this was the brand new mission for the revenuers, was to become the whole firearms division. This was all about propping bureaucracies up. This was not about really enforcing the law. It's exactly right. There's really two agencies that came out of the old Bureau of Prohibition, and that's the ATF and the DEA. And they're both prohibitionist agencies. Uh, And they both were basically taking prohibition agents and finding them new jobs because there were a lot of them. They were politically connected. The Bureau of Prohibition was known for uh, feather bedding. Uh, You know, if you had a friend who was in Congress, you got a job with the Bureau of Prohibition. Right, right. Which means those connections. And they had to find them something to do. And what they did was found them jobs, the ATF, and the, what became the ATF and what became the DEA. It's amazing. And, and you know, there's there's these moments in history, and, you know, often sometimes you think about when you're – I'm kind of a history buff. And so when you're thinking about moments in history, you're thinking about what if you could go back in time and just – tip one thing over this way or that way. And I always wonder, the U.S. v. Miller case was always tough because Miller never showed up in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, He had no attorney. He didn't show up. And so it was basically the U.S. prosecutor out there. And that solidified the NFA um, for the entire country. We've been living under that for, you know, almost 100 years now. And yet nobody showed up in front of the Supreme Court to defend the citizen side of that argument. I would love to see that argument relitigated with actually somebody showing up and making an argument. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Neither Miller nor his attorney showed up because the attorney wasn't being paid. Miller went on the lam. I'm not sure anyone knows whatever happened to him. Yeah. And then so the case ended up being decided actually on a bad premise, which is that a short barreled shotgun is not is not a military weapon that can be used by the militia. Except that they were used in World War One in the trenches, right? But the Supreme Court justices didn't know that, and so they made a bad assumption. There was no one to counter that argument, and the the whole premise of that decision was based on a lack of knowledge. I would love to see a modern day case retry Miller um, yeah. with a with a firearms with a, with a historian with a firearms type attorney in front of this court 
Wow. Uh, you know, I think that would be that would be eye opening. And of course, the federal government would probably <laughs> probably come apart. I mean, so many agencies are based on this premise now. It's absolutely amazing. Um, what you've you've done some other stories. I know that uh, and, and not to rehash some of the things, but I mean, you're a firearms enthusiast uh, to a point. I mean, you're kind of you got into the uh, the build your own, you and your son yeah. built your own and did some of those things. Um, uh, did you do that just because people were freaking out about it or because you wanted to see exactly how easy it was to, within 30 minutes, you can have a machine gun. I mean, you can't, but that's, you know, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been writing for years about the rise of the DIY movement. And, uh, I started off years ago writing about, uh, why prohibitionist laws drove drug dealers to develop new drugs and make new stuff that didn't require sourcing chemicals from outside the country. And then this happened again with firearms. And I'd written about prohibition with alcohol. And after writing for years about people doing DIY workarounds of laws, I figured, well, okay, what's actually involved in this? Because I enjoy shooting anyway. Right. And so, yeah, my son and I ended up buying an 80% receiver. And, uh, you know, we started assembling parts and we drilled and we milled. And it's not a half hour project. Oh, yeah. But it only took a couple. Yeah, it took a couple of days in our first try. Which um, I mean, we've got some shop skills. Uh, both of us are fairly handy. Uh, but we were able to assemble that, and it goes bang reliably. It works very nicely. And so, yeah, obviously DIY is a workaround to the law, yeah. and it always is. Well, that's the thing. Government does not have the agility to move as fast as technology and the will of the people. That's just the bottom line. They cannot do it. All right, we're going to go ding here in a second, so we're about ready to rejoin the radio and uh, do our thing. People, please like and share this video. Like and follow. Subscribe on YouTube. Do all the things. And uh, go check out JD's stuff over at Reason Magazine. All right, here we go. We're jumping back into it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. All right, we're continuing with J.D. Tuchili from Reason Magazine, a senior editor over there. Uh, he's got this latest article out entitled, ATF, Enforcer of Gun Laws, Lost Thousands of Firearms firearms Parts to Thieves. Which, anybody who's been following this knows that this is not a new revelation. I mean, this has been going on for, well, the last two decades that I've been following it. There's story after story of this kind of stuff happening. And, of course, the ATF is famous for setting up stings and things like Gunwalker and the whole Chicago gun store thing where they set up a gun store and then they lost a bunch of machine guns. And I mean, this is not an organization that you would entrust your life savings to. You know what I mean? Uh, but there are some changes happening. Uh, Brune, the uh, new Supreme Court decision in Brune, has really laid out some things. And I have said, as I said just earlier, in the program, I think that it is probably the pathway to dismantling a lot of these gun control laws. And as much as administrations want to use the ATF as a bludgeon, I think that a lot of that's about to be blunted. I wanted to get JD's take on this before we talk about some of the other stuff he's writing. So JD, your thoughts on Brune and what goes on? Uh, what goes on from there? Well, Brune is a step away from letting um, arbitrary regulation determine whether or not people can exercise, say, concealed carry, which was at stake in New York. Um, and these, you know, these uh, tests of character, these very arbitrary conditions that can be politically interpreted 
or just whether or not someone likes you. you know, they can be interpreted by a bureaucrat or a, or a law enforcement officer. And, and the uh, Supreme Court said that there has to be a rational, you know, there has to be a more rational basis. There has to be something people can actually aspire to and know they're going to pass or not pass. Um, I forget the, again, I'm going to admit, I, I don't remember the exact details of the decision, but it was a step towards a less firearms use and ownership. And yeah, that is a very popular, that is a very positive development. Right. Now, obviously, a lot of these jurisdictions are now trying to step towards <laughs> uh, more firm bans on where you can carry as opposed to who can carry. Right. I don't think that's going to fly. And the courts no. are making that clear. Well, we've already seen, yeah, the New York, uh, there's been two federal judges that have uh, enjoined New York from instituting their things because it does, it flies right in the face of what the Bruin decision says. What I found most interesting about the Bruin decision was the historical aspect. They went back and looked at what was the historical uh, ramifications at the time. What were they doing? Were people being disallowed to conceal carry? And uh, and they're looking at it from the historical perspective of what the framers intended. And I think, I mean, that's revelatory to me because, uh, you know, when you see what past courts have done, it's been it has not been in the originalist vein. It hasn't been looking at what the founders were thinking. It was kind of, you know, interpreting the written words uh, in their own way. And this historical thing is, I think, going to be uh, very important to understanding that this is just a recent development. All these things that are going on now are just a recent development. They're recent, and I think that sending these judges, I think it was a mistake for the prohibitionists, the restrictionists, to send these uh, judges delving into the historical record. Mistake for them. Uh, because once they started delving, they found, as you said, the restrictions are relatively recent. But also importantly, the restrictions that are in place tend to have a bigoted and often racist basis to them. Right. And if you're going to try to justify them, you're often justifying laws that were meant explicitly to disarm blacks, to disarm Jews, to disarm Italians. I mean, that's a very, um, it's a very, um, you know, a, a negative history to have for these regulations. And you find these state governments, these officials on the side of, of defending this racist history. Yeah, no, I mean, look, the Jim Crow laws, and as you point out, even Irishes, uh, Irishmen and Jews and Italians, the minorities that were being uh, uh, disarmed in, in uh, upstate New York and, and places like that, I mean, that's exactly what these were for. Um, and I've always found it ironic that the Democrats were the one that were championing these causes, and yet they're the ones that are supposed to be for a lot of these minorities and everything else. But they were the they were the framers of this. They were the ones that put all this together. And if people really understood the history of gun control, um, well, I think people are starting to because now you've seen four million new gun owners last year. A lot of them minorities. Um, and women and people who are not necessarily pro-gun, quote-unquote. You're seeing a change, and some of those lies are kind of being uh, being shown out for what they are. Absolutely, and this is a very um, healthy development. I mean, the fact is, when it was one uh, demographic, one very obviously easy-to-identify demographic block that was associated with a political faction, you know, white men, Republicans, it was relatively easy to vilify them if you were a Democrat, uh, because you know how they, were, they weren't going to vote for you anyway in any significant numbers. But now that you're seeing women purchasing firearms, you're seeing blacks purchasing firearms, you know, now that it's become more of a common experience across the board, and there's all sorts of reasons for that. We know what they are over the last couple of years. Right, right. But as that becomes a more shared experience, it's very, it becomes much harder than to, to uh, hurt your political opponents 
by targeting that demographic because that's not a common demic that's not a specific demographic anymore the way it was in the past well yeah and of course the lies were also found out i mean during the last three years you know people went to get a gun because they felt unsafe because of all the things that were happening and all of a sudden they discovered that it wasn't as easy to get a gun as it was as to get a library book right from the obama quote of it's easier to get a gun than a library they discovered that that wasn't true they discovered that there were tons of hoops and it was invasive and all this kind of stuff and people started going wait maybe that's not true and uh, and I think we're I think there's a whole new generation of people who are starting to figure that straw out. Straw man purchases, yeah. When they send people out to start doing straw man purchases and the brandishing firearms, the way they think gun owners do all the time, they discover that they've just broken a federal law, and that a friend of theirs has to make a, an exception for them in terms of enforcement. Um, it becomes sillier and sillier to make these arguments. Absolutely. That doesn't mean they won't make them, but it does mean I think they'll be less effective in the future. Yeah. I think Bruin is going to be the roadmap, quite honestly, for a lot of dismantling of the gun control in the future. And I pray to God we could find some way to retry Miller. That would be, that. on top of that, that would be the cherry on top. All right. We're down to the last uh, couple, three minutes here, JD. Uh, I know you work on lots of stories, firearm stories. You've done quite a few of them again because you're an enthusiast. And I love that story with you and your son where you build built your own firearm and everything else, but you work on other issues as well. Uh, give us a quick uh, a tiptoe through the tulips here on some of your latest pieces and what you're working on right now. Well, I'm actually taking a little bit of time off, but one thing I am very excited for is um, the development of, of uh, school choice. We've seen an explosion in that recently. Um, I live in Arizona where we now have universal, uh, what essentially vouchers, educational savings accounts where uh, education funds follow the student instead of being locked into a government institution. Um, I think that's going to be a huge transformation of education in this country, improving the quality of education, but also lessening the culture wars, because it means that you don't have to share institutions with people with whom you strongly disagree. You can pick different institutions. Right. I think this is extraordinarily positive development. And it's one that was accelerated by the failures of public schools during the pandemic, although it was a long time coming even before that. Well, and and I have said often on this program that one of the few silver linings out of the pandemic and the shutdown and everything else is that many people discovered that, uh, you know, that homeschooling and, and self-learning, that's not the boogeyman that they were told. I mean, the teachers' unions, the school districts, everybody's been telling them that, oh, the homeschooling is horrible, it's hard, your kids turn out to be freaks. I mean, all the different things, you know, they, they, they can't talk to people and everything. And they were forced to face the fact that, no, this was the only option. And, I mean, here in Alaska, our homeschooling movement has exploded across the country. It's increased by into almost the 20 percentile range in some areas. And we're seeing not just homeschooling, but learning pods and charter schools and uh, teacher share pools and all these other things. I mean, it is really paving the way to dismantle a hundred years of this brick and mortar government school system, I think that it, it again, this has backfired on teachers, the ones who were standing tall for social justice and I can't be safe and everything else. It's really backfired on them. Oh, hugely. I mean, my own son is homeschooled and he's going to graduate uh, from high school as, you know, as such this year as a homeschooler. He's already been accepted to four colleges with scholarship offers from all four of them. Um, so, I mean, it's, this has been normalized and mainstreamed millions more people have tried it and seen that it's actually very positive. It may not be for them. It's not for everybody, 
but they know it's not a weird thing anymore, that it doesn't mean that you're locked under the stairs. It means your kids taking classes at the community college and doing martial arts for uh, physical education and uh, studying uh, languages online and doing some really cool and innovative things that you would want to do that isn't that aren't dictated by other people. And I, I think this has been a revelation for a lot of Americans. Oh, I think it has as well. And the fact that the trades are not as dirty and downtrodden as many people think. We've seen a lot of people now understand that the path to college College is not for everybody. Not everybody no, needs not. to go to college. I mean, they could go to college if they're a doctor or an engineer or something like that. But, you know, there's a lot of people who are doing the trades. And I think, again, we're going to see a fundamental shift, I think, in the next five to ten years in education that's going to be shocking when you look back at it. So, um, yeah, It's hugely popular. We need I, it to happen. I hope you write more about that. J.D. Tuchilli, Reason Magazine. My friend, thank you for taking time out this Friday morning. I appreciate it on your time off especially. I appreciate you coming on board uh, and joining us. We look forward to talking to you again. Thank you for having me on. All right, hold on just a second, J.D. Folks, we're out of time. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Up next, it's Donna Anthony. She's going to be talking with us about that new self-defense expo. We'll be back with more after this. J.D., I just wanted to give you one more bite at the apple. First of all, I wanted to I wanted to show you this because I had to laugh. Uh, Anthony, who's in the chat room, said, My subtitles gave the guest an action hero name, J.D. Too Chili. <laughs> You're cold as ice, bro. <laughs> I'll take it. I like that. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical. Uh, but anything else, uh, you know, bite at the apple, anything you wanted to dive deeper on for a minute or anything we didn't touch on on that that you may have want to bring up, you know, just a couple minutes here just to give you a chance to uh, to discuss it. Uh, just that, I mean, we're in a, we're in a period. You broke up. These transformations like, like school choice are going to be enormously important and very positive. Some, I think, are going to be negative. Um, I mean, we're kind of seeing the government go to war with the population over free speech issues, uh, viewpoint diversity. Right. Um, as the platforms, as the Internet kind of enabled people to get, uh, get their, uh, with their words and ideas out, um, the uh, old-fashioned uh, thought leaders found out that they weren't uh, in the elite position they, that they used to be, and they don't like that. Right. But we're in a period of transformation. We're going to be seeing a lot of changes over the next couple of years. A lot of them for good, some for bad, but uh, we're, we're going to have to hold on for the ride. Well, yeah, we're looking at a lot of government control going on behind the scenes where we don't see it against a lot of these tech companies where they, uh, you know, uh, they get a wink and a nod and an email that says, hey, nice multi-billion dollar corporation. It'd be a shame if somebody audited you, right? Here's what we'd like you well, to say. And this is the danger of the regulatory state is that it's not just a matter of regulation. It's a matter of strong arming. Um, it makes it very easy to politicize the way an industry functions when you can threaten audits, you can threaten the loss of licenses, you can threaten higher taxes. It's incredibly dangerous. Yeah, you're right. That is the down. I mean, there's a lot of positives, but this is definitely one of the negatives. And the more that comes out from this, and we're seeing more and more, you know, Google and Twitter and Facebook, they were all in conversations with the federal government, the HSS, and many other agencies over things that were or weren't misinformation. Um, and it is kind of shocking to see they can't, the, the, the government can't directly interfere with our freedom of speech, but they can strong arm the public squares, the electronic public squares of freedom of speech and do just the same thing, right? They absolutely can. And they can also try to, and it's fascinating to see them try to hand this off to Europe, to the European Union, which has much more restrictive laws 
And since we have global corporations, they're hoping other governments can then strong arm these companies into compliance with laws overseas that are more restrictive than anything that would be permitted in the United States, but that would then leak over into, a, into the U.S. public square, too. Um, well, it's it's a very strange development. It's and it's kind of chilling. Well, it is chilling. It's very chilling because this goes right back to '84 and the thought police and everything else. Because you know it's like the hate speech thing. Well, who decides what hate is? An opinion you disagree with is not hate. Uh, somebody may be saying something that is hateful, but that's still covered under free speech. But not if the government gets their way and does this stuff through subterfuge and behind the scenes. So, well, I, good. I hope you write something really good on this. And uh, when you come back from break, I'd love to have you back on to talk more about it. Sounds like a plan. I'd love to. J.D., thank you so much. And again, have a great weekend. Happy Thanksgiving and holidays if I don't see you before then. When are you back? Just out of curiosity. you got a, a... In a week. I've got to take my kid on a tour of colleges. Oh, okay. All right. Well, good for you. We'll talk again, Sure, I'm sure, before Christmas. So thanks for coming on board. I appreciate it. Thank you. You take care. All right. J.D. Tuchilli, our guest uh, here on The Michael Duke Show, senior editor for Reason Magazine. Uh, that brings us to guest number two for today. Man, we're so busy. We're so busy. Uh, and that is my friend, uh, Donna Anthony. Donna Anthony joins us this morning uh, on the program to talk about uh, guns and self-defense, home defense, and all that stuff. Good morning, uh, my dear. How are you? Good morning. This is early. It is. It is early. I mean, but it's just, hey, you get used to it every day. I drag myself on my hands and knees to the bathroom. This is how it works. This brother, is... I, I praise you, brother. <laughs> this is early. It is. But I know your day starts in not just a few minutes anyway. So we're, I appreciate you getting up early and coming on board and talking with us. All right. So we are just about uh, two minutes out here, Donna, from rejoining the radio. And I want to get the full rundown. And then I know you have to go before 7.30. And so what we'll do is we'll start off and then we'll take a break and then we'll come back and then I'll let you go after the break about uh, four or five minutes after the break. We'll let you go because I know you got another meeting. So if that works for you, we'll be good. Uh, Other than that, I'm going to put you back in the virtual green room where you can eat my virtual donuts and drink my virtual (laughs) coffee. Okay. I got the coffee. Thanks. Okay. Well, there's virtual donuts. And the good thing is there's no calories because they're virtual. Just (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Just don't eat the sprinkled ones, okay? That's all. I'm, I'm going to go with the sprinkled ones. Damn it, damn it. All right, uh, hold the line, Donna. Donna Anthony, uh, our guest here on the program uh, for hour two. Okay, uh, let me see what um, um, what you guys have been. Ooh, man, that's a there's a novel from Anthony. Honestly, I think it's a pres- There's a precedent in requiring somebody to try and make a law for against something to be educated or certified on that thing. You've got lawmakers trying to pass legislation on firearms who thinks that AR means assault rifle. I don't think it's too much to ask that they go to a gun range and put 100 rounds into paper and educate themselves on the topic before they twist my arm to comply with laws that makes no sense. This is what I've been arguing about for years, Anthony. I mean, this is the whole Carolyn McCarthy, what is a barrel shroud? Oh, it's the shoulder thing that goes up, right? I mean, that was what she was asked. This is years ago. She's one of the authors of the assault weapons ban, and she was asked by Tucker Carlson. This is long before he was well-known. This is back when he was working. I think it was MSNBC. This is back in the day. And he said, you know, you, your assault rifle ban says you can't have a bayonet lug and a charging thing and a deal and a, and a barrel shroud. Uh, Senator, what is a barrel shroud? And she was like, uh, uh, you know, barrel shroud, it's the shoulder thing that goes up. They have no idea what they're making laws about, what the regulations are, or anything else. And it's not just on firearms. 
It's on tons of things. You're right. There should be some subject matter experts in there that are required to sound off and answer those kind of questions. Well, that's if they really, truly cared about whether something was legal, lawful, or good, right? I don't think they really cared. I think that's the point. Remember that. All right. We're ready to jump into it. Donna Anthony, our guest, The Michael Duke Show, Firearms Friday. Here we go. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns, one for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my little friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. Michael Show. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Here's my rifle, this is my gun, this is for the Firearms Friday. That's right, Firearms Friday, or as I like to call it, my weekly therapy session. That's right, where they pay me to talk about the things that are on my mind. It is your chance to sound off on issues of a 2A nature right here on The Michael Duke Show. TGIFF, my friends. Thank goodness it's finally Firearms Friday. That's four Fs, isn't it? I keep screwing it up. It's so good. It's so... Anyway, we want to say thank you for coming on board this morning and joining us. And special thanks to our friends over there at Satellite West, where you will find them at SatelliteWest.com. They have got the connectivity for you no matter where you are. You could be 15 miles up the Yukon River, uh, or you could be all the way down on Amelia Island, which is Cimarronoff Harbor down. uh, It's like the third island from the end of the Aleutian chain. I've been there. It's beautiful. But you could be either of those places and still connect to the world. Send a phone call. Send a text message. Send an email. Check your email. Do the internet searching. Search the interwebs. You could do it all with the help of your friends over there at Satellite West. They've got the they got the tools and they got the talent. They can make it all happen. It's the technology you need with the Iridium Satellite Network. Find out more at SatelliteWest.com. Special thanks to them for sponsoring the program this morning. We sincerely appreciate them. All right, let's kick off hour two. We got it's a busy hour. We got Donna Anthony here with us uh, to talk about a new self defense home defense expo, and we've got Willie Waffle coming up at the end of the show, and we might try and squeak in a few stories here uh, near the bottom of the hour, but uh, let's get back to it and start talking uh, about uh, things with uh, Donna Anthony. She's going to be joining us right now. Let's bring her on the program, and we will discuss uh, things, stuff and things. Good morning, Donna. Donna, how are you doing? (laughs) 
Good morning, sir. Drinking my coffee. Drinking your coffee. She's getting all she's getting all squared away. Now, Donna has got quite a I mean, her bio would fill uh, like a whole thing. She is uh, a firearms instructor, former police officer. She's an instructor for both private and for for private citizens and for law enforcement. She's the justice director and chief of police for the Chickaloon Native Village. She's done SWAT training. She's uh, she started point blank firearms and self-defense. When I talk about, remember people were talking about the new shooters in Fairbanks and I said, I've used a machine that's similar. Donna was one of the first people in the state to bring that in. She has a virtual simulator that she's used that scares the hell out of me every time I use it. Um, and, uh, but she does all kinds of stuff, but today we're here to talk about, well, we'll we could talk about that stuff as well, but we're also here to talk about this new, uh, concealed carry and home defense expo. Uh, that's coming up, and so let's uh, let's uh, have a chat about that. Good morning, Donna. Good morning. Yeah, with USCCA, we probably started this expo. I think is five or six years ago. I was at the first expo as a guest speaker, and back then it was about active shooter, you know, response to active shooters. And then we've been to Pennsylvania, we've been to uh, uh, Kentucky, and then with after all the COVID lockdowns, they're doing all the conferences in Texas because they stay open. So uh, we're going back in uh, November 9th through the 11th. We'll be in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. This time we're teaching active shooter response for church security. That seems to be a big topic now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, because we've seen, uh, well, I could think of at least four mass shootings that have occurred in churches in the last few years. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think they see it, of course, because to many minds, oh, it's a house of worship. People will just be quietly sitting there. It'll be the perfect shooting gallery. Nobody's going to fight back, right? That kind of thing. Of course, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, we've seen the Jeannie Armand thing. We saw the Sutherland Springs shooting. We've seen time and time again that armed citizens have come to the defense. And in many cases, the churches are providing their own security with their own parishioners. They, they assign a security team. Right, right. And some of the things that we like to do when we go in and do church security training just for churches individually, we'll go in. Well, we, do, we have different phases. First, obviously, you have to have a CCW. You got to know what the laws are. You want your team to be educated, armed and, you know, the liability on top of it. Uh, next, we'll do some uh, they're called blue gun drills and how to clear rooms as a team. Or if you're the first one there, how do you make entry, especially at daycare? How do you make an entry? How are you going to deal with a hostage situation? And then we do the shooting simulator, as you were just talking about. We own two of the shooting simulators through LaserShot. Uh, and on there, they have church um, church scenarios on those now. So there's some, some pretty good scenarios. And then from there, we'll do the force-on-force reality-based training. And once we get to the reality-based training, I let you guys set up your security team and how you normally do it. And I'm going to show you where all the, um, the areas and the faults are. And we'll learn from it, obviously. This is where you learn during force on force and then figure out how to set up your security team properly. A lot of times what I see is, you know, you always have, I'm going to be a pastor, I'm armed. Well, that's probably the worst thing you could do because a pastor is so busy preaching to the congregation. He's so focused. He's not seeing the situational awareness all the way around him. So you want to always have a shadow person for your, your, your pastor. And you need to have the level, your first level of defense is going to be your parking lot, right? And then you've got your ushers and then you have your undercover armed individuals. And as soon as like the, as soon as the session starts, doors should be closed and if somebody shows up late, um, you just don't let somebody just walk in. So your ushers will greet them. If it's somebody you don't know, an unarmed individual will stand by, will sit right behind them. They'll sneak right behind them and sit. If it's somebody you don't know, if it's Martha who's late every day, 
you're used to it. But there's just different techniques and uh, tactics that we use for church security. Right. Well, you're talking about the parking lot. Again, that was the Jeannie Aram mm-hmm. thing. She was on security in the parking lot and stopped the shooter before he ever made access to the building. That was in Colorado, uh, must have been 10 years ago. So, I mean, again, noting and having that situational awareness. I, I want to talk, you're talking about this conference again down in Fort Worth, mm-hmm. Texas, uh, November 11th through the 13th. Uh, the Concealed Carry Home Defense Expo, and and you're going to be doing some sessions on on this. But you also do, I know I've seen it because you've sent me stuff on it before, you do these sessions here as well, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. This is not just a down, you know, because a lot of people can't afford to fly to Texas right now and do all that. But you right. do these kind of courses here in the state. We, we do for the churches. We'll, we'll come to the churches and do it. We don't, obviously, it's normally I'm traveling out of state and I do these tours because they're shoot houses. Unfortunately, here in Alaska, we're short shooting ranges and we're short shoot houses. So uh, if a church wants to do it, uh, we'll do it at their church if they're willing to do the training. Right, right, exactly. Um, so talk to people about, you know, because a lot of us, obviously, this is a very friendly audience, Firearms Friday, um, you know, <laughs> uh, and so a lot of these people uh, understand it. But there's a lot of people who have been doing, using guns for years and shooting and everything else. I try to make sure that I have an open mind at all the time, and, and I kind of live by the mantra that there's always something new I can learn, even if it's something that, uh, you know, like I say, I feel like I've been doing it for a long time. I learned something the other day on a piece of software that I've been using for 15 years that was like, why did it take me 15 years to figure that out, right? I didn't even know about that. And things happen like that. So I'm always constantly trying to learn. Um, but there, I, I will tell you that I learned a lot. The first two combat rifle courses that I went through, and I've been shooting for a long time at that point. And I thought, man, I've studied tips and tactics. I've done all this. I've, and it was, it was eye-opening. I mean, everybody can benefit from training of some kind, whether it's just regular old basic pistol or whether it's combat pistol, whether it's concealed carry, whether it's regular rifle or combat rifle, there's always something that people can learn. And I agree with you, but you want to take that uh, step a little bit farther. Here's the issue I see. You can be shooting all your life, but what, what most people are doing is they're going to the range and they're just shooting the target. And in my personal opinion, after a while, range training is going to get you killed because once you add stress, um, a lot of people don't train to get out of a holster, which is shocking. So under stress, they're struggling to get their gun out of the holster. And then under stress, we just did a simulator training the other day with about 16 guys. We had a great time. But under stress, they're grabbing the gun like this. If you can see on top or grab it here, everything that they normally don't do under stress, they were doing it. And this is why we want to do simulator training and force on force training, taking you to that next level and how to train through that tunnel vision and making sure when they say get off the X, really just moving after during a shooting and the after action drills get you out of that tunnel vision. So you need to train for that as well. Right. No, exactly. In fact, I told the story here, I guess it was three or four weeks ago about my first time going through your simulator and you were laughing at me because I, I it was not not in a bad way, but uh, because I was going through the scenario and I was you know following the guy into his house and I was ready and everything else and I think there's somebody inside and that and then the guy himself turns around and shoots me and uh, it was the ambush yes, yeah the yes. ambush and 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 I gotta be honest I was. So so shocked by that, but it is, it is a life changing experience when you understand, like you said, shooting paper targets is great. They don't shoot back. Right. And so that force on force, that simulated training of those kind of things, 
Uh, I mean, that's some good stuff. Um, you got a lot of Firearms Friday listeners on right now. What I mean, what is your recommendation to them? Um, you know, and of course, they're all at different levels or different areas or different ways. But mm-hmm. what would be your basic recommendation to people who have decided to go forth armed? Right, they're going to conceal carry. Let's assume that because they're taking the advice of the show that they went and got a concealed carry. They did a concealed carry class. They're just not carrying because they can. Most people, uh, you know, you can do that in the state of Alaska, but they did go to a concealed carry class. But what's your recommendation for beyond that? Um, you know, what 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 should they be doing now? Yeah. So, I mean, you've got some good instructors out there and I'll, I'll name some of them. Uh, uh, Steve McDaniels, he's been around for a long time. He's with Alaska. Um, what is it now? It's, uh, well, he's out of Anchorage. He's good. So Steve McDaniel's been around for a while. Joe Kim for rifles. Um, in Homer, you actually have, uh, my staff is down in Homer here in Palmer. One of your favorites is Greg Collins. I'm sure he's on oh, here yeah. somewhere. Oh, uh, yeah. He's your regular. <laughs> I see Greg <laughs> in the chat room. Good instructors, but a good way to find good certified instructors, you can go to USCCA to their website and you can go on there and select Alaska and look up the instructors that are certified here in Alaska. And I'm good for both NRA and USCCA. I just want to clarify that because I do stuff for NRA too. There's a difference though that if you're looking for home defense and protecting your family, USCCA has some really good lesson plans on that. Uh, NRA is phenomenal when it comes to pieces, parts, and and, and the basics, real good basics right. when it comes to NRA. So it just depends what you're looking for. Right. No, NRA, you know, the NRA structure, I would, I'm an NRA instructor, is, is again, the nuts and bolts. The, the right. hows and whys, you know, how what is the pistol, everything else, uh, teaching you uh, the basics and, and those kind of things. But as I've said, I mean, I, I have a rule, and I don't think we've ever talked about this, Don. I'm going to quickly see if I can go through this. The rule of three. I have what I call the rule <laughs> of three. All right? So if, yeah. you, if you buy a firearm, a pistol, if you decide that you're going to conceal carry and your firearm costs you $500, I want you to multiply that times three. So you're going to have $1,500. So it'll be $500 for the pistol, $500 for good accessories. And I mean, uh, like a mm-hmm. good holster, not Huge. an uncle Mike's holster, you know, that's, that's number one issue yeah, in class. Yeah. Yes. Good holster, good belt, uh, dummy, you know, snap caps, dummy rounds, extra magazines, cleaning kit. That's going to be 500 bucks eaten up there. And then the last $500 is for training. And that starts off with obviously basic pistol, concealed carry, and then maybe on to combat pistol or active shooter or things like that, if that's what you're going for. Does that make sense to you? Oh, it does. And it's an expensive, fun hobby, of course, because once you get hooked, I mean, I've had ladies, I, you got to understand, I'm seeing, I'm just going to change the subject real quick. I'm seeing more women taking gun classes now. One, because of the crime in the lower 48 and here, uh, we're short law enforcement. The, the law enforcement response time in the valley, um, sometimes we might have four to five troopers on. We're shorthanded with Wasilla and Palmer. We're shorthanded everywhere. So you are your first responder. Right. And if I say, how long is it going to take for law enforcement to show up at your house in the Valley? Most people are tw- about 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Well, how long does a, an incident occur? I mean, within the first two minutes, it's so critical. So we can't get there uh, right yeah. away. So you really need to know what the gun laws are too. That's the other issue I see. I'm just, I'm just adding this in here with some of the things I see when I'm uh, at these conferences is, you know, I'm just going to shoot them and drag them in my house. Well, that's <laughs> called tampering with evidence, but no, you do, you hear this, you do. So we want really, we really want armed, educated citizens. You know, the bad guys don't have rules, but we have to win and play by the rules. So our goal is to give you the tools and the knowledge to win this gunfight. Hopefully you're never in one, 
But if you do, you're going to win this fight. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's why I always say if you're going to go fourth armed, you should always take the concealed carry class because you get the legal background Mm -hmm. and the legal standings to understand the law as well. Donna Anthony is our guest, owner of Point Blank Firearms and Self-Defense. We're talking about the Self-Defense Expo in uh, down in Fort Worth and and how we should be dealing with this stuff here locally as well. Some of the things that she offers. We're going to continue with this in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your own for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break with Donna Anthony. Yeah, <laughs> just, I'm just going to shoot him and drag him back through the door. That'll be fun. I, I hear it all the time. Know, I'm really I shocked. Yeah. I know. I, it is. You know, that's the thing. I mean, we talk about that a lot. The rule of three is a big thing around here because, uh, you know, and, and especially, I guess, before we even get to the training, the accessories bit. How many times, how many people have shot themselves because they have a $5 Uncle Mike's holster for their high-speed, low-drag, you know, $1,200 Kimber pistol, and they bought an Uncle Mike's holster right. on a nylon yep. dress belt? And, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's astonishing to me. It's a, It really is crazy. We- we do inspections as soon as they come in immediately we do inspections on their gear because you're absolutely right they'll come in with a beautiful kimber and you know, like I said uncle mike's holster and we won't allow it it's just unsafe and uh, we have extra holsters just in case and then normally they'll go out and buy another one after but we we will do a uh, dry practice five-step presentation from the holster and they'll see why a holster is so important yeah no i mean i myself i mean i have leather holsters and everything else but i mean i'm a huge fan right now uh, and have been for the last 10 years of kydex uh mm-hmm. custom molded kydex stays open comfortable uh you know secure and a good belt i mean that's the other thing yeah. Yeah. people don't know i mean <laughs> you think it's a I'm, we're talking about guns no you need a good belt uh, we're talking about guns. Oh, I, have to, I have to tell you i, I did this as, oh, probably about i'd say back in 2014 we were up at the old elks in the valley and we had a film crew with us and it was we had a lady show up and you know there's no stores nearby and she showed up with a uh bungee type belt so you put your holster on that the gun was like bouncing and so uh trooper steen at the time he was one of my instructors he had to go get his son's karate belt and we at least had to tie the holster i mean it was that's how people show up so we we put stuff and photos in our in our email saying, please bring a good holster, good belt to describe what we're talking about now. You can bold it, but they still don't see it. Right, so, right. No, they've got to see but it. But yeah, a bungee belt. Yeah, we had a bungee belt. It was bouncing around. I'm like, oh, this is, Yeah. <laughs> it was a first. Yeah, and I don't care if it's a riggers belt. I don't care if it's a good, I just had a belt made by Nan Tumbleson up in Fairbanks at, uh, at Custom Leatherworks. Uh, you know, a big, wide patrol belt, reinforced, dark green, really comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've got to have a good holster and you got to have a good belt it's a bait that's yeah. the basis of the whole system you know um do you somebody um brian in the chat room asks what sort of holster do you recommend is what she what he's asking well i mean d- d- there's a couple of, well crossbreed is huge i mean i'm a big crossbreed i don't know if you've seen crossbreed holsters yep, yeah i have um yeah and then you've got uh um Jason, um, trying to remember his last name, but he's here locally in the valley. Here, he actually custom makes them. That's Jason got, Cook. Jason Cook. Yes, yep, yep, yep. He's got some real, but he's super busy. But he's got great holsters, and he'll detail it. And you can uh, you can custom paint it, whatever for what you want. And no, I'm trying to think of some other ones that were local, but 
Uh, Crossbreed is one of the, one of my favorite ones, though. Yeah, Quick Lock Holsters in Wasilla. That's Jason yeah. Cook. Um, you've got uh, Kevin Palmeroy up in Fairbanks at Forty Below Kydex. Uh, Forty Below. Uh, he does some. Ama- he's actually made my last two holsters, uh, mm. two spec, and and they're amazing. Uh, they you know find somebody who's got a good reputation of uh, yeah Greg Swanson. That's like G. His is his his company is G something um, G, holsters G Force G Force maybe G yeah, yeah. G G Force holsters yeah. awesome. that, that's good too yeah absolutely yeah. So, yeah. but but do that yeah, and then now you're spending money and it's worth yeah. it though yeah and and of course snap caps right mm-hmm. snap caps the, dummy, dummy rounds, rounds. drive for dummy rounds. for dry fire I mean, you, yeah, I mean, not just dry fire, do, start practicing your malfunction drill. People don't understand type one, two, and three and how to clear them. So yeah. if you get a type three and you don't know how to clear it, you're already out of the fight. You might as well just throw your gun. Well, my dry fire <laughs> drills always include malfunction drills. Does it, yep. is, are we supposed to? Isn't that supposed to be dry fire is supposed I, to include malfunction? I don't malfunction? see that often. So when I have people that say I've been shooting all my life and we start trying to do malfunction drills, no, Mm-mm. they just clear it the way they want to clear that's, it when they're on the range. It may not shocking. be proper, but... That's, They're doing it. That's shocking yeah. uh, because mm-hmm. malfunction drills are always part of my dry fire. I always complete the. I always usually complete the the the, the session with a with a you know stovepipe tap rack bang whatever I need to do. I always I always yeah. do that because that makes sense. Yeah, and it's it's changed. Remember, it used to be tap rack bang, and they changed that because an uh, incident in California with an officer. We're so used to if we have a malfunction tap rack bang, and they end up killing an innocent person. So the new the new one now because you know you and I've been doing this for long. Right. I mean, you always have to keep training is tap rack assess. Is that threat still there after you've cleared that? All right. Hold, hold on. Here we go. All right, we're back. Uh, Donna Anthony, our guest. We don't have a whole lot of time here, but we were just talking. I see I learned something every day because we were talking about malfunction drills. And I'm like, yeah, the old tap rack bang, which is, you know, you get a malfunction, you tap it, make sure the mag's seated, you rack it for the new round, and then bang, then you shoot on target. But you do. You get you get that training thing going on. And she said that's now changed to tap rack assess right so you don't accidentally yeah, shoot yeah. somebody because by the time you clear it we need to make sure that bad guy's still there and you don't shoot anyone that's innocent that you know especially for law enforcement that's what happened in california you have an officer who had a malfunction and he had tap rack and bang automatically it was, <clears throat> it was built in his training and shot an innocent person in the hallway as the bad guy was leaving so it's yeah. tap rack assess is your threat still there yeah no there's some good stuff we're down to the last two minutes here donna i know you got to go so i don't want to take up too much more time. i gotta do training but yeah. this is more fun i know this is more fun <laughs> Um, so if folks want to find out more, if they want to learn about, you know, your church, uh, your church security, if they want to do active shooter for their business or for their, you know, their location or whatever, what do they do? How do we, how do we, how do we go? Sure. Yeah. So obviously I'm busy with the police department, but when you call our office, you'll get Sierra. She's our, our administrator to point blank and it's 745-1133. Or you can go to our website, which is pointblankak.com. Okay, and go out there, and you're offering all these things. And again, to churches, I know you just did a church one down on the peninsula here not too long ago, and you guys are We've doing done a couple at Homer. Yeah. yeah, they've been great down in Homer. Um, working with some churches here in the valley, we've done some out here. It's it's like I said, we have to do it in the church. And when we go down to uh, USCCA real quick, 
we're doing three things. We're doing uh, bringing down two shooting simulators to give them reality-based training. Then we've brought a shoot house in so we can actually learn how to make entry, like into daycare, et cetera, with blue gun drills, and then adding some stress. And then we'll do the force-on-force reality-based training as well. Great. Uh, one final question. Uh, I get this all the time. Joe Nava died in Fairbanks, so that a lot of people are like, who do we need to talk to in Fairbanks? Who, who should be doing the CCW and stuff training in Fairbanks? Do you have a recommendation? So- uh, there was a guy that came from Fairbanks who works at the shooting range there. I can't remember his name because I teach so many people, but he is a certified USCCA instructor. So if you go to USCCA, go to their website, pick Alaska, and you can pick the area you're looking for, and he should still be up in Fairbanks. All right. Donna Anthony, I know you got to go. Thank you for coming on board and joining us this morning. It's good to talk with you, and we will see you. Uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Enjoy the uh, gun talk. I I really loved it. Thanks. It's good stuff. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Donna Anthony, our guest here on the Michael Duke show, uh, as we uh, proceed ahead, she had to go off and do more training. She showed me a picture of her. She's like, I'm busy. She showed me a picture of her calendar. And I was like, holy cow, man. It's this bro, man. Um, all right. Uh, oof, man, I was like taking a sip from a fire hose. All the stuff we had this morning. Uh, oh, thank you, Terry. I was going to mention that uh, Mike Shower, Kevin McCabe are having a meet and greet today between 3 and 5 p.m. out at the uh, Tug Bar <clears throat> at uh, 18 and a half mile Kinnick Goose Bay Road, which is just down the street from my house. I'll probably go over there and see him. Uh, come talk to them, ask questions, say hi again this afternoon from 3 to 5 p.m. Uh, Mike Shower, Kevin McCabe, Tug Bar on KGB. Make sure you go out there and uh, and enjoy it. Okay, um, <clears throat> I'm, just, I'm just looking at the clock and the time and everything else. What do I got here? I got about six, seven minutes here, so I guess we should go back to talking about what I mentioned earlier, where maybe we could learn a few things from, of all places. Denmark, um, Denmark, uh, uh, you know, we keep hearing that the mass shootings is strictly a U.S. thing, right? I mean, pay no attention to the things in Norway or Germany or Denmark or, you know, anywhere else, but this is just a U.S. thing. But, uh, Denmark, uh, had this past July here just a couple months ago. They had uh, they had a mass shooting there, and people were killed. And this is in a country where we're just told this just doesn't happen, only in America. But see, this is what's interesting. It's it's not so much interesting that they had a mass shooting. It was their reaction to it. Uh, according to the Washington Examiner. Home to some of strictest gun laws in Europe, the shooting left many wondering what the Danish government would do to prevent similar tragedies from happening uh, happening again. However, unlike in the United States, the debate has not focused on whether the government should impose further gun restrictions, but rather on treating the mentally ill. Not long after the July 5th shooting, Danish law enforcement revealed the shooter was suffering from a mental illness. He had even attempted to get help through a psychiatrist support line shortly before the incident, according to the public broadcasters. The man also allegedly posted multiple videos on social media one day before the shooting, posing with weapons while talking about psychiatric medication that, quote, does not work. 
While no major action has been publicly taken or discussed on new restrictions, a task force organized by the capital region in Denmark investigated failings in the nation's psychiatric treatment of the July shooter. On October 11th, the task force revealed that while there are many uh, that there are areas the Ministry of Health can improve in future treatment, such as increased use of violent risk screening among outpatients and more systemic assessments on the side effects of medication, it remains unclear if had those measures been in place, whether the shooting could have been avoided. Denmark looks to solve the problem of gun violence at its roots. Some gun rights advocates have suggested the U.S. could learn from the debate. And that, and here's again, you, here's the truth. You want the hard truth? Here's here's what they're saying here at the, at the beginning of that last thing. This is the hard truth. It remains unclear if had those measures been in place, whether the shooting could have been avoided. We hear time and time and time again after some kind of shooting incident, well, this is why we need background checks, and this is why we need assault weapons ban, and this is why we need magazine bans, and this is why we need all of these laws, and yet when you look at them logically and you understand the specifics of the case, you realize that if all of those things had been implemented, most of the shootings that we had would still occur. Well, I'll say that again. If most of the things that people are squawking and crowing about had been in effect, they would have had no impact on the mass shooting. Many of these shooters, you know, they get their weapons legally. Uh, I mean, the Newtown shooter, he killed his mother, broke into her gun safe and stole her gun. Right. And then killed her and then went on to the school. I mean, these are things that I mean, all of those things would. But the mental health aspects of it, at least I think they're looking in the right place. The mental health aspects of it are very important. But even then, they acknowledge that they could not be sure that it was unclear as to whether or not the shooting could have been avoided. Because you cannot legislate evil or insanity. Those are the two things that you cannot legislate. It doesn't matter how many laws you have. I mean, first of all, it's the mantra that we, you know, we're going to make a t-shirt. Criminals, by their very definition, break the law. That's why we call them criminals. One more law is not going to stop a criminal from, I mean, you know, guy was getting ready to go shoot up a mall. He walks up to the door and it says no guns allowed. And he goes, oh, but I was man, I was really looking forward to shooting a bunch of people today. But now it says I can't, so I'm just going to go home. That never, it's not going to happen, right? That's not how it works. But at least Denmark is identifying one of the key problems. And mental health has been at the root cause of many of the mass shootings that we've seen in the last 20 years in this country. Not all of them, but many of them. Um, And it it seems to be the one thing that, I mean, that's at least Walk the Talk America, the organization that uh, is the, you know, it's the gun industry trying to work with the mental health industry. At least those people are trying to work together to see how do we, how do we fix this? How do we help people before they get to that spot or they get to that position of, uh, you know, of violence? How do we do that? Oh, well, you shouldn't criticize because, you know, not all people who have health, mental health issues are violent. I'm not saying that. That's just like saying that not everyone who owns a gun is inherently violent either. 
That's not that's not the point. We we got to find we got to find where the crux of this whole thing is. That's what we've got to do. All right, we got to go. The Michael Duke show. We got Willie Waffle coming up. We'll be back with more in just a minute. Common Sense Liberty Base Free Thinking Radio. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Uh, All right. Can you force somebody to take medication? Uh, No, you can't. I mean, that's the thing. Even if you get them help, they have to want the need the help. Um, and how many got jabbed, says Robbie. Well, yeah, I mean, there's that. Um, let me go back up here. <clears throat> GS. Oh, that's what it was. It's GS holsters. Greg Swanson. Thank you. I knew it was G something. I just couldn't remember. GS holsters. Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm sorry, Tony. I meant to show this to Donna, but we ran out of time. Um, uh, Tawny is currently taking the virtual training with Donna, but she's loving it. Um, all right, going back here, uh, news reports, news just reports, Arizona has had the largest number of firearms seized coming over the border. Like Lake stated, if she's elected, she would declare an invasion on day one. Okay. Um, and I see, um, I saw Rick posted this comment about, um, found an article on Google, but they did not mention why he was rated. I think I, I don't, some, you know, this, this is the one downside to doing things in this vein with a video and all the comments and everything else is sometimes I'm. You know, I mentioned something in passing and then somebody comments on it and then I can't figure out exactly what they're commenting on. So you found an article on Google about what and they did not mention why. I'm assuming it was he was rated. Who are we talking about being rated and what Google are? What were you talking about there, uh, Rick? I'm curious. I'm just curious as to what's going on. Uh, and, of course, Anthony wins the Internet with his uh, action hero name subtitle thing this morning. I thought that was uh, that was great. Um, okay. <clears throat> Fortunately, all my guns were lost in a boating accident. Yeah, exactly. And all those folks that found the crate of M4s. Yeah, I talked about that here a couple weeks ago in case you folks didn't hear about that. Uh, some folks bought a bunch of Hardig hard cases from uh, government liquidation. And these hard cases are specifically meant to hold rifles, right? They're 12 rifles. Um. And they were specifically meant to hold rifles, and they bought a lot of them, like 120 different cases, and they were opening them up and cleaning them because they're going to resell them, right? These are basically little, they're hard case boxes with rifle racks inside of them. And they opened one up, and the damn thing was full of full-auto M4s. Uh, Just somebody had apparently, I don't know, forgotten to clean the case out. They'd slipped them in to pick them up later. I mean, who knows? Uh, what a, what a, what a mess. What a mess. Um, 
I would argue that anyone who mass shoots other people has a mental health problem. No one who does, who is sane does this. I, I mean, I would agree with that in some uh, way. I mean, let's face it. Every serial killer is somehow mentally deficient, right? I mean, or mentally, as mental issues. We already know that. But it's definitely, I think, um, it's definitely one of the issues that we need to look at and talk about is uh, what happens with, uh, uh, you know, with mental illness in this country. And I, I think Denmark is is on the right track. I mean, I think that that's important. We have had pretty much no discussion about our mental health system. And that seems to be, a, a, you know, kind of the common thread among a lot of the mass shooters. And I, you know, not the, co- you know, correlation and causation and all that kind of jazz, but, you know, you think about it. We started to have our first mass shootings in the 90s, right? I mean, that was really the rise, Columbine and the rise of the mass shooting. Well, we lost all of our uh, mental institutions in the United States in the late 80s going into the early 90s. Now, I'm not saying that those were great organizations. Don't get me wrong. There was some, a lot of horrific stuff that went on there. But if we don't have a place for the mentally ill to go and to be treated and to be, you know— I just I think that there's some I think there's some connectivity there. I really do. Um, And that, you know, I question whether or not at some point, especially people who, you know, you see some of the people that have uh, uh, done these shootings and things like that. I mean, it's obvious that these people are disconnected from reality. Some of them are disconnected from reality. And we may, you know, maybe we need to start talking about the commitment process and things like that. I mean, that's just. Because that's some that's some deep deep insanity there. That's that's the fact for sure. Okay, um, yeah, uh, we got no 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 no. Didn't want that. Didn't want that. Gosh, man, too many buttons to push. All right, we're about ready to. Let me get back over here. We're about ready to jump into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. I guess it didn't matter because Willie's ringing now, so I guess we're ahead of the game. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and share, like and follow, entertainment stuff. Let's do this. I'm ready for the weekend. Let's go. Okay. Hi. How are you? <laughs> you ready? Oh, man. I am so ready. All this snow and everything else. I just don't know what to do with myself. Okay. Let's uh, get into it. The weekend. It begins with waffles. Not the waffles with syrup. No, no, no. The other kind of waffles. The Willy Waffles. Wafflemovies.com. Good morning, my friend. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm here to try to save you from all the political ads. I, oh, I'm here man. to save you from the spam phone calls. I'm here to save you from the inserts in the newspaper. I can't do much to stop those ads that keep popping up on the internet, but we're trying. Yeah, no, I saw the meme the other day that said, you know, if I could only see one more ad, then I can make up my mind as who I'm going to vote for, said no one ever, <laughs> right? I mean, That's right. Yeah, that was the thing. Like, that was it. If I could just see one more of your ads, then I'm sure I could... Oh well, that's fine. Uh, just just come on in and let's 
you know, let's let's uh, ignore the rest of the world. We'll talk about entertainment. It'll all be fine. Um, so what do we got? Uh, we have got, um, jeez, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, blood and honey. I see. Yeah, just, baby. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah, baby. It's happening. Okay. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> we talked about this, this recently yeah. a while ago. Winnie the Pooh's out of copyright. And so the first thing that happened was somebody made a horror movie with Winnie the Pooh. That's right, because Winnie the Pooh and Piglet have been abandoned in the in the Hundred Acre Wood, and they've gone feral, and now they're out for blood. And blood. so, you know, this this has been made. It's been made over in the UK, and you know, it's supposed to be just basically a parody of a slasher pick with Winnie the Pooh and Piglet as your killers. And finally, an announcement was made this week. We are yes, we in America are going to be able to see this future masterpiece it will be released one night only february 15th via fathom events get your tickets now people well tickets aren't quite on sale yet but but when they are get your tickets now right fathom events it'll be one night is it only how many theaters is it in is it a wide release or is it a super narrow release you know fathom events usually does like like three four five hundred theaters uh depending on who they have deals with uh, so I'm I'm hopeful it will be someplace near you. But you know, here's the good thing though: if they only do one night in in theaters, they can get this thing streaming pretty darn quick. Oh baby! All right, Winnie the Pooh, blood and honey. All right, blood okay. and honey. <laughs> uh, speaking of slasher flicks, uh, we were talking about this. Uh, you know, it's out of the Halloween season now. My wife is very sad because she didn't get through her whole list of scary movies. And I said, Yanni, you can watch them anytime. You don't have to. No, but it's really spinning around. All right. Okay. I'm sorry, hon. Uh, Peacock is now moving up in the Friday the 13th uh, category. What are they doing? Oh, yes. They are actually picking up a Friday the 13th prequel series. Okay. Now, it's, it's going to be called Crystal Lake. Yeah. And it has a top secret plot. But it's going to have to deal with the origins of Jason, right? I mean, like, they can't do a Crystal Lake show and not have young Jason and showing us how he became who he became. Right, okay? right. I mean, like, that's, like, yeah. If if it's just like you know a whole bunch of people or a whole bunch of kids hanging out at the at the the, the summer camp, that well, first of all, that would be so peacock. And second yeah. of all, it, it would anger everybody. It's going to be a tween drama with them just oh hanging out and uh, doing their thing. There, there's going to be no slash, no horror, no nothing. It's just, it's just a tween drama that's set in the Friday the Thirteenth universe. Yes, no wonder Jason of- killed out. It came out and killed all those teenagers. Hey, if you had to be surrounded by that many boys with hair product, you too would lose your mind. <laughs> exactly. So when's this thing coming out? So they don't they don't even have a release on it. They're just like, we picked it up. Right. We're going to move forward. I right. would think if I was them, I would release it maybe at Halloween time next year. Well, I mean, you'd think that's the natural slot for it, but I guess yeah, we'll see. But the problem is it's Peacock, so yeah. they'll, they'll screw it up. Yeah. Because, because Peacock is the worst run streaming service of all the streaming services out there. I'm sorry. It's yeah. It's a disaster. <laughs> and, yeah, it's a mess. Uh, it's you know, a hot mess. They'll, they'll, 
They'll find a way to mess sure. it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see what happens with that. I'll tell Terry. I'm sure she'll be excited. Uh, the Witcher. We talked a little bit about this last week. Yeah. But, but it's finally out, man. He Henry Cavell broke the freaking internet. Uh, he posted. It was a really nice uh, Instagram or, or I think it was an Instagram post. Uh, where he's like, I've really enjoyed this. This has been great, but I'm hanging up the Witcher sword and I'm handing it over to uh, Liam um, uh, to uh, Liam Hemsworth. Liam Hemsworth. Yep, that's Chris Hemsworth, Thor's brother, right? He's been in a bunch of different yep. movies and stuff. Uh, and I'm going on to do some more Superman movies, and that's what it is. Now, again, this broke my heart because he is so good as the Witcher. Um, and I guess... The third season, they already is it in the can? Is it up for release? What's going on with that? Yeah, so and then the Hemsworth is season, the fourth one, right? Yeah, yeah. So the third season's already been already been produced. Uh, it's going to be coming out on Netflix in 2023. So that's going to be his last season. And then season four, which they were already contracted to do a fourth season, that's where Liam Hemsworth will step in. You know, Liam Hemsworth from the Hunger Games is probably the biggest thing that people know him from. And, uh, you know, he is essentially going to be playing the same character. So a lot of people are questioning, well, is he going to be a younger version of the character? Is it going to be something magical where, like, you know, he's going to transform yeah. and be different in some way? I mean, you know, there's a lot of possibilities out there. Uh, and, and I think that probably right now the writers are trying to come up with every single one of them <laughs> and figure out which is the one that's going to make sure that people will watch beyond the first episode of yeah, season yeah. four. Because it's hard, because Cavell really captured the spirit of that character if you played those video yeah. games. And, I mean, he, he he's really a great actor. He's underrated. I really think he's underrated. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, what a what a sad thing. But, you know, he's b- bigger and better things. He's going to be Superman again. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's a bad thing if you like good movies. I mean, well, I, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I just, I mean, he might be okay as Superman, but have we had? I mean, Man of Steel, I thought was atrocious. Uh, yeah, you know, no. it, it, you know, the the Justice League was eh. Batman versus Superman was eh. I mean, you know, like like you know, basically he he signed up for a lot of money for what is up to this point been mediocrity. Right. Well. Maybe he's hoping. Maybe he's hoping it'll trip over into an MCU kind of thing. Either way, he's getting paid a lot of money, I think, is the whole point there. So, I mean, somebody's got bills to pay. Uh, (laughs) All right. So we'll see what happens with that uh, coming more next year after uh, I'm sure they'll kind of bury this until then. Uh, Finally, you can own uh, a little bit of history. If you liked... E.T. phone home. Uh, if you liked E.T., which, I mean, what kid growing up in the 80s did not be like, were you not just agog by this movie? Willie, you're too young, but I remember watching this movie and being like, uh, my eyes, my head was just, um, my, I was blown away, right? Oh, oh, I was there. Yeah. I was there. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. E.T. was massive. And, and, yeah. and what people, people, I don't think. I, I think, you know, older people like us appreciate this more than younger people, but, you know, there wasn't CGI back then. So right. this was all robotics. This was all puppetry. This, this was practical this was effects. Really? Yeah. yeah. And and that's what's so exciting about what it was announced this week. Yeah. And and that is, uh, you know, December 17th and December 18th, there's going to be a massive, massive auction of, of, of movie memorabilia uh you know we're talking about things from you know the marvel universe uh uh god what else do they have they have indiana jones stuff they have uh stuff from harry potter movies the ten commandments but somewhere somehow some you know tech billionaire right or chart or charlie sheen 
is going to live out a lifelong fantasy because you can bid on and own E.T. Like <laughs> the E.T. E.T. Okay? Right, like right. The, the, the robot that they used in the movie. Right. That was, which at the time was considered one of the greatest engineering marvels ever because it had like 85 points of movement. Uh, you know, it, it had, it really looked like it was coming to life. It right, really, right. Like in the movie. Yeah. And, and it's going to be out there. It, it's going to be, it's, it's called uh, ET hero. Number one, this is the filming model that they used, The one that was actually in all the scenes. And right now they're expecting that it could go for as high as $3 million. Wow. Holy cow. Three million bucks. I guess to own a piece of history, they're, they're not making any more, right? And I mean, I, no. I, I was looking at this list of things, you know, uh, yeah, sure. Marvel, great. Indiana Jones, okay, that's stretching it. E.T., way back, yeah. But the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, yeah. the Ten. I mean, I got to wonder, are there warehouses somewhere? Like like in Raiders of the Lost Ark, where there is just stuff packed from different movies. But I mean, like movies that are like crappy, like, you know, The Spirit or something like that, where they, you know, <laughs> they've got a buddy. We've got his mask. We've got his boots. We've got all this stuff. And you're like, that movie never did anything. But they've got this crate of stuff. You know, one day it could. You just never know. I mean, where do they keep well, this stuff? You know, in the in the in the good old days, and maybe still a little bit today, you know, movie studios would save all these props because they would reuse them. And and so, like uh, one of the one of the coolest things that I ever learned was, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan of Mash, right. and and it turns out that that Max Klinger, all the dresses he wore were from the studio's warehouse and they were worn by famous legendary actresses in famous legendary movies over the years. Oh. And, and they just went into the prop house and pulled them out because, well, the studio owns it. So it doesn't cost us any money to use it in this thing. Oh my so gosh. that would happen. So I suspect some of the 10 commandment stuff is coming from there. Yeah. Uh, you know, other things just, you know, let's face it. Things just get dispersed at the end of movies and then right. people get their hands on things and they, and they walk away with them, you know, some right. producer gave it to you know a pretty gal that he was trying to uh, you woo, know, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Woo, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and or you know, some prop guy had put a lot of work into it, and nobody else knew that he just walked out with it at the right. end of the thing. So these people have these private collections, and then you know, eventually they they get a little bit older, and and their 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 families then inherit these things and yeah. say. Hey, it's worth a ton of money. Let's sell Let's it. Let's go do it. Yep. All right. Well, we'll yeah. watch out for that. December 17th and 18th, the movie memorabilia auction. Yeah, uh, and you can do it online. You can bid online. So oh, I'm, I'm I'm gonna take a look and see if there's anything <laughs> anything maybe vaguely in my price range. Uh, you know, these are kind of cool. I mean, you know, I've I've looked at these things before. Um, one time I almost did you're gonna laugh at this. I, I don't know if I've ever told you this. I almost bought the license plate from back to the future. The whole, yep. That the one cool. that, com that comes off and spins. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I almost, I almost did it. Well, uh, yeah, but you know, uh, cooler heads prevailed because it was uh, a little out of my price range. <laughs> yeah. Got to take a mortgage out to get it. All right. Well, we're running out the clock here. I oh, got about sorry. two and a half, three minutes. Um, I want to talk about, uh, quickly the weird Al Yankovic story. Um, this looks yep. crazy. I love Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, Daniel uh, Radcliffe is is playing uh, uh, Weird Al. Tell me about it. 
Yeah, this this is the ultimate parody of of movie biopics, right? Of of, of music biopics, you know, basically a complete send up uh, of the completely not true story of Weird Al Yankovic, exaggerated to extremes, you know, taking on all the cliches, you know, the young guy who's not understood, he finally gets his break, big breakthrough hit, he gets addicted to drugs and alcohol and has troubles in his life and maybe makes a comeback. Yeah, so you're going to see all that played <laughs> for the greatest comedy you've ever seen. Oh. And, and the thing that's really cool is that you can watch it for free at therokuchannel.com or if you have the Roku service you'll be able to watch it there too I'm going three and a half waffles it is is hilarious I saw some rushes and he looked so good and I know Weird Al was all he was part of this whole thing putting all this together and uh, and I can't I can't wait to watch it I just look so much fun I love Weird Al Mm -hmm. And I think that this is just fantastic. Three and a half waffles. That's not bad. Not a bad thing for a parody biopic. Uh, biopic. All right. Um, Enola Holmes 2. Now, I've been wanting to watch Enola Holmes 1. I love Bobby Brown, Millie Bobby Brown. I love Henry Cavell. I love all. So tell me a little bit here about this one. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so this is where Millie Bobby Brown from uh, from Stranger Things plays Sherlock Holmes' sister, who also solves crimes, it turns out. And you know, after the events of the first movie, she has now opened her own detective agency. And it's not going very well. <laughs> and so, you know, she has to go off and she finally gets a case where she has to find a missing woman. And of course, you know, that's when everything takes place. The reason these movies work is because she is so darn charming and brings so much positive energy and so much cool stuff to this character. These little asides to the camera that, you know, make her more engaging. That's what really is fun. It's got a positive, positive energy to it. I'm going to say three waffles. I think this is another pretty good one. Now, was the first one pretty good? I don't remember us talking about that. Did you enjoy the first one as well? Oh, I like the first one about the same level. Okay. You know, so- I, I think, you know, it's it's a good, you know, entertaining couple of hours. It's not going to be too dead serious. And you're just going to have a good time. That's what I like. I, I just want to. I want to. Yeah. I just want to have a. What Willie? Why can't we just have a good time? All right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Willie Waffle, WaffleMovies.com. Thank you, my friend. Good to talk with you. We will see you next week. Oh, next week, Black Panther 2, Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. All right. Well, we'll see how that rolls out. Uh, folks, we got to go. We will see you on Monday. Sarah Vance, Mike Shower. We will see you then. Have a great weekend. Yeah, so I don't know why I haven't watched it yet. I kept seeing the trailer on Netflix for Enola Holmes, and I keep going, oh, I want to watch that. I love the Sherlock Holmes. I love the spin-off. I remember, you remember young Sherlock Holmes, that, that yes, show? Yes, with River Phoenix, with, if I remember with, correctly. Uh, I, I don't know if he was, no, I think this was okay. mostly British guys. Anyway, okay. um, I loved that show. It was this idea of this young Sherlock Holmes and young Watson where they met at boarding school or whatever. And it was just, anyway, I, I love different takes on kind of the whole, you know, Holmes-esque kind of thing. And, of course, this is not Sherlock. Sherlock is her brother, but this is an old, I, anyway, I thought it looked good. I don't know why I haven't watched it yet, but, you know, I guess life is 
doesn't have enough hours in it or whatever but no it doesn't and that's the problem but i'll tell you you know like if you like the the sherlock movies with robert downey jr yes i think that th- this is very much in that same spirit right and that same not quite the same style but i think the spirit and and you know and of course you know there's a lot of tension from the fact that hey she's this young girl she ends up in these dangerous situations we're of course rooting for her there's a lot of girl power in these things you know so you know it, it really is playing hard to to a female base but you know it's just playing entertaining she is a she is a a hero that you like and that you're watching and enjoying and you're rooting for her and and i i think they could do three or four or five more of these things and even bringing in uh cavill as as the elder sherlock holmes the brother right um, you know he's he's really good because you know he provides that contrast to her the more stuffy guy right you know, she's the the young rebel he's the stuffy guy but you know he cares about her he wants her to succeed he, he admires that she has these abilities uh you know so it really is just just i think a feel-good uh movie in a lot of ways well i can't wait speaking of robert downey jr and sherlock holmes you heard that they're making another one right oh no i did not know that. yeah apparently guy ritchie and uh <clears throat> and uh and uh, uh robert downey jr are kind of that's already kind of in the wind and in fact there's even a rumor that johnny depp might play one of the bad guys. i mean you know who knows i mean it sounds like I couldn't wait. I loved those Sherlock Holmes movies. I thought they were great. Uh, and I love Guy Ritchie as a director. So that would be the next, uh, that would be awesome. That would be awesome to have another I, Sherlock Holmes. I think it would be really good. You know, I just, I mean, it, but here's a sign that Robert Downey Jr., um, you know, it's been a while since those last uh, Iron Man paychecks. Well, yeah, I actually saw something on, I don't know what I was watching, YouTube shorts or something, and the guy, oh, it was, uh, <clears throat> I think it was Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan had Robert Downey Jr., and he's like, uh, so, uh, would you ever go back and put the mask on? And he's like, well, no, that would kind of cheapen it, and there he goes, but here's the thing, I'll give you, four, you know, it, it was the same kind of thing, you know, will you ever go back? <laughs> it's hard, it's hard, but uh, yeah, I, he, he'd do well as Holmes, I think, as well, him and Jude Law again. All no, right. they were fun. All right, uh, thank you, my friend. I will see you. Next week, stay safe, stay warm. Keep it secret, keep it safe. Uh, We'll see you then. All right, folks, that's it. I'm out of here. Sarah Vance, Mike Shower on Monday, then Election Day on Tuesday. Thank you, Lord, it'll be over. Well, no, it won't, because then we got to wait, what, 20 days for the ranked choice voting counting stuff to happen? We won't even know until December. My God. All right, see you. Have a great day. Enjoy yourself. Have a great weekend.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.